0: Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Wrong Word. I'm your host, Brady and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. A blessed epiphany season to all of you this Monday, January the 31st. We gather this next hour around the inspired and true Word of God and the Word made flesh, who has called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. The light shines on us today from Matthew chapter 13. Now we have gone through, it's kind of a little bit of a, we're, we're in the middle of parables, which is really one of my favorite parts of the New Testament, if not the whole Bible, because there you are able to see how God's kingdom works by what you say modern day stories of that time. And so you unpack it, you can go after it, but the main point of all of it shows us how Jesus operates as a different king than what we are used to in our world. And today, as we look at these parables and have an explanation that comes back to a former parable, we tried to figure this out a few times, but you know what? We're just going to plow through the text today and once again, see Christ. I'm excited. Uh, Let's dig in for the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information. lhfmissions.org. Joining us to be strengthened by God's word, we welcome back the Reverend Dr. Phil Boo Saint John, of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Pastor Boo, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Well, thank you so much, Brady. I appreciate
1: it and uh, happy to be here.
0: Well, as we, as we look at today, uh, first of all, happy Epiphany. How's your Epiphany journey going at St. John Lutheran?
1: Oh, it's wonderful, you know, seeing all the ways that Christ reveals himself throughout the scriptures. And, you know, I just think about all the all the people who got to see those things firsthand and now we get to relive them by the power of the Holy spirit. And then we get to go out and, you know, share those stories with others, give other people this evidence of Christ. And I just, I think that this is a wonderful opportunity and we are in a great period of history right now because there's so many people out there that need to hear about Jesus. And, you know, I I like how you said that because the, the the
0: distinctiveness of Christ during the Epiphany season shows us light and no one can say, hey, there's no darkness around, um, shows us forgiveness. And no one can rightfully say that there's forgiveness in our world. It's a lot of forgive, but I'll never forget kind of language that we will see. And there's a peace in the midst of a lot of anxiety. So, yeah. yeah, there definitely is a message to share and it slowly gets revealed during Epiphany, especially. When Lent is so far away, which means for us in Minnesota, like, um, you know, try to do a Good Friday, you know, and in darkness is going to be like a nine o'clock service. What do you think?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, Good Friday is actually one of my favorite uh, festivals or beast or whatever we call it, you know, occasions of the church year, um, yeah. because it's just sort of what it's all about. And of course, you know, Good Friday only finds its grandeur in the. In the view of Easter, but still, yeah, that whole season is wonderful. But yeah, Epiphany, I think, is an un- underappreciated, overlooked season where we uh, where we get to proclaim all these mighty ways that Jesus revealed Himself. And so, yep, I think it's wonderful. And then in these parables we're talking about today, Jesus is revealing the kingdom. And I think I think this is something that we need to focus on as Christians.
0: As you do that, it's a reminder to our listeners, you know. It- dig into the epiphany season. We still have a few weeks left, and it's an opportunity to once again see Christ and how He is revealed in Holy Scripture. But today, Pastor, as we dig into Scripture and see Christ, can you begin our time and ask the Lord's blessing and prayer? Absolutely.
1: Let's do that. Dearest, most holy and heavenly Father, the eyes of all look to you, O Lord. You give us what we need at the proper time. Lord, you are the great physician. You are the creator of all things. You are the epiphany which reveals that God loves us so much that he came in you to walk among us, to live among us, to suffer as we do, and then to die and rise again so that we could live with you forever in the new heavens and the new earth. But until that time you return, keep us strong and our eyes fixed on you as we prepare to study your word. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. If you have any questions concerning our texts or our parables that we'll be covering today in Matthew chapter 13, send us an email, kfuo at kfu.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Pastor Boo, I want to do this this morning, is I want to read all that we have, the mustard seed, the leaven, the explanations, all this kind of, um, as we look at the parables, and then come back for your introductory thoughts as we look at Matthew chapter 13. So we begin. Uh, a reminder to our listeners, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version of Matthew chapter 13, beginning in the 31st verse. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went up into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so we will be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Pastor, as we as we look at chapter 13 and the verses that we have read um, and heard the words of Christ, how do you want to begin background, context, and to yeah. start us off on the
1: right foot? Well, let's just let's talk about where we're at in Matthew. So Matthew's narrative of Jesus's ministry is finding its midpoint right around chapter 13. And in chapter 13, we're starting to see the people around Jesus for who they are. They're starting to divide themselves up into camps. On the one side, you have believers and disciples and the curious and the, even the crowds who are open to Jesus. And then on the other side, you have people already who reject him, already are downright out to get him. And so when Jesus comes in in chapter 13, and he's at Simon Peter's house in Capernaum, and he's staying there for a while, but he tells just one after the other eight different parables. And these eight parables are focusing on the kingdom of heaven, the inroad of God's salvific work on earth. As he's bringing in you know heaven from above. And so we we see Jesus um, talking about, you know, people in these two different categories. On the one hand, you have those who can hear and those who uh, understand, you know, fulfilling prophecy. On the other hand, you have those who have closed their minds to Jesus. And so we 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 run into Jesus here, and by the time of our text, we are on the third and fourth. Parables that he's telling of these eight. So um, the first four parables, he speaks outside of the house, and and all the crowds are there, including his disciples. That's the parable of the sower, the parable of the weeds, the ones that we're going to cover today, the mustard seed, and the parable of the leaven. And then, and we're going to see this in our text today, Jesus transitions. He moves from like that seashore back into the house. And his disciples join him, and now in the privacy of the house, he explains one of the parables, and then he also tells four more. The parable of the hidden treasure, the pearl of great value, the parable of the net, and the new and old treasures. Those we won't cover today. I'm sure you'll cover those next time, but, but we see this transition. Another thing we also see in chapter 13 is a shift in the way that Jesus has been teaching the people up to this point. Now, this is the first time that Matthew uses the term parable to reference Jesus' teaching. Now, he told parables before, but but now Matthew's talking about him teaching at length using parables. So even verse 10, we can see that his own disciples are surprised that that Jesus is starting to just speak in parables. They flat out ask him in that verse, why do you speak in That's parables? True. Yeah. So you can see that he's been pretty clear in the way he teaches. And suddenly they've noticed this shift, you know, and all these crowds are coming around. They're probably starting to get a little bit more confused. Like, what's this guy talking about? So I think that's an issue worth reviewing before we before we dig in, as you said earlier, plow through. I like those. uh, I like those descriptions since our first parable is one of seeds. But, um, yeah, why does he use parables? Well, I think it's important to note that Jesus didn't invent parables. Maybe if you ask your Sunday school teacher, we talk about Jesus using parables, but this isn't something he came up with. Um, they were used from ancient times. There's parables in the Old Testament, and, and often they were used as thought experiments, right? I mean, teachers would try to provoke their students to think deeply about some underlying issue. The Greek word for parable generally means or you know, something to the effect of you know, setting beside or placing beside. The idea is that a story or a riddle or a narrative, it's it's placed beside real life situations so that you can make a comparison between whatever truth you're trying to illustrate and this sort of thing that people already know. Now, if we were to ask those Sunday schoolers, you know what a parable is, I think they'd say something to the effect of "They're earthly stories that teach a heavenly truth. And I think that's fair enough, maybe a little simplistic, but it's fair enough. Um, I think that's a good explanation of what's going on. But when they ask Jesus, you know, why are you speaking in parables? His response is a little more intriguing. Jesus essentially tells them that the parables ensure that the mysteries of the kingdom, which he's come to reveal, are given to believers, but not understood by those to whom they've not been given. And that stands in stark contrast to, I I guess, our sense of mission to go out and spread the word to everybody. That's certainly Jesus's role, too. But when it comes to these these revelations about the the inbreaking of the kingdom of God, then Jesus fulfills prophecy by saying that some people aren't going to receive them. Specifically, verse 11, he says, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, referencing you know, the crowds and the unbelievers, that other group I mentioned earlier, to them, it has not been given. Jesus is hiding the deeper mysteries of the kingdom from those who have already rejected him while giving his own followers this esoteric opportunity to learn them. So this is sort of what's going on. It's it's a, it's a lot more uh a lot more consistent with the way a lot of rabbis would teach, but, but Jesus has something special to offer. He has mysteries that were hidden before the foundation of the world, and now he's bringing them—well, this is the epiphany, right? He's bringing them to light for his disciples to understand. And that's something that is
0: wonderful about this. I'm trying to think of a way of speaking about this educationally, because you brought that down so wonderfully, as as far as the history of parables, and often we don't dig that deep in thinking about the parables. We're like, oh, it's just a what do you call it, a, a, a earthly story with a heavenly meaning, and it's 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 more than that. It's like you said and re reiterated is it's a kingdom of God. Educationally, I think it does hit our brains differently than straight up doctrine or just even just a straight-up story, because a straight-up story, you hear, and like, oh, Jesus uh, changing water into wine. You hear the story, okay, that's nice. Jesus is God, okay, amen, move on. But well, this one really challenges you to have to think about, wait, what is he really saying? So in some ways, it hits our brain differently. And I know you've done quite a bit of work and teaching and and teaching in the home and parents. Any, any thoughts on that and how this is...
1: A teaching that, that hits us a little bit differently? Well, it reminds me of a couple of things. On the one hand, I think of King David, who is being approached by Nathan the prophet, right? And Nathan could have easily come up to him and said, hey, you, God's not happy with you. Here's what you've done X, Y, and Z. But instead, he gives them that parable, that story. Now, it's not quite a parable in its normal use, but still he makes him he lets he gives him this story about the rich man and taking the poor man's uh, lamb. And he and he causes him to let down his guard so that he can see it objectively and rule on it. And then once he rules on it, Nathan reveals, right, you are the man. And now he's convicted because he's already thought it through without all that baggage, knowing that it was himself parables are similar in the way that, you know, Jesus is trying to communicate some sort of deeper truth. But if you just ran in there starting with with, you know, this is what I want to tell you. Um, not only is that not consistent with the with the prophecies that he's want to fulfill, but at the same time, you know, this is a thought experiment, you know, get people understanding the mechanics of what you're wanting to teach them before then filling that in with what the the deeper, more more mysterious so to speak heavenly truth is and it's also similar to the way that we teach our kids right we 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 teach them we have them memorize things or we teach them um um, different examples of stuff even before they know the full meanings of the things that they're learning and then later when they're more ready we inject meaning into those things um so this is another you know not quite exact but similar example i also think of and it just came to my mind i also think of like a word problems and math, you know, it's one thing to teach somebody, you know, 10 plus 20 equals 30. But it's another thing to have them say, you know, little Billy has 10 candy bars and he wants to, you know, divide them between five of his friends. How many does each friend get? You know, the idea is to just take what would ordinarily be just a revelation and cause people to think about it in such a way that once it's revealed to them, Once they have that, what we like to call, aha moment, then it really sticks with them.
0: Well, let's dig into those aha moments to one that we've often heard, which is the mustard seed and leaven. So, you know what, to be honest, the leaven one, I don't think I've dug into that very much. So I'm kind of excited to get in that verse 33 parable. Um, We kind of get to the mustard seed, get excited, and then move on um, to the weeds and the explanations. So... Um, I'm excited to get to that. But let's start with 31 through 32. I'll read it once again. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches.
1: Could you? Nope. Ma- I'll just say, could you Good. imagine hearing that for the very first time, with none of your Bible experience, none of your seminary education, none of your lifelong being a Christian? And so here's this rabbi, and he says the kingdom of heaven's like a grain of mustard seed, and it's the smallest of all seed, but it grows to be this big plant. And then people are just listening to you, and they're like, oh, what? What does that mean? You know?" And he doesn't explain it. He doesn't turn around and say, "Well, here's what I mean." I, I think that that, that kind of gets back to, you know, Jesus using these parables. People aren't just listening, and they're not just listening to see if they agree with him. I think of Jesus proclaiming in the temple about fulfilling the scripture uh, of Isaiah, Isaiah 61. And the people, you know, all they could think about is, that's not what we expect. And they get really upset. In this case, there's nothing to get upset by. They're, they're just, what does this mean? So it, it does make us pause. But this punchy statement, basically by Jesus, really does have a lot of meaning packed into it. I think that's the essence of parables, right? They requires to set aside um, each part of the meaning and connect them. Um, pardon me, each part of the parable and connect them to whatever's trying to be taught. I mean, I think that makes sense. So let's let's start with the basics. What the kingdom of
0: heaven is like a grain of mustard seed. Right there, I've probably heard many different explanations of this. How would, you, how would you start breaking down this parable and what Jesus is saying?
1: Well, you know, it's a similitude. That's an interesting word. It just means comparison. In fact, it's, it's, kind, of a, it's kind of a synonym for parable, a similitude. Basically, it's when <laughs> you make a comparison— between one thing and another, but it's just fun to say similitude. And so uh, we're, we're seeing a comparison between aspects of the kingdom of heaven and this earthly thing. So the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed. Well, if we were to stop there, then it, it, it's, well, not only is it incomplete, but it doesn't tell us anything because the kingdom of heaven is not like a mustard seed. That's not what he's saying. He's saying the whole phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like, and here we go, a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. That's sort of the first part. So the focus is not on the size of the mustard seed, not really. And it's not even about the man taking it and sowing it, even because we, we had a parable about that. But it's about this, this idea, put it in your head, and then wait for the rest of it. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. So we see that the kingdom of heaven is like not a mustard seed, not a big uh, a bush that birds can nest in, but all of it together. And so that's what we're seeing here. It's this comparison between not one of the individual things, but what happens to the thing. So we have the smallest of all seeds, a mustard seed. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then we have it becoming this large bush so that, you know, so large that you know, we're talking about 10, 12 feet tall that birds can come make nests in it. They can lodge themselves there, not just not just hang out, but you know, make an actual home there. So, so we understand that that this is being built a little bit upon the sowing that's happened in the previous parable but, but they're seeing this idea of the kingdom of heaven starting off small and then becoming large. so what's in focus here is the becoming part. It's the turning in to what it will eventually become um, what do you think about that i I think i I think I agree I'm sorry, but does that make does that make sense, right? Because we have this We have this, I think so many people like to focus on the grain of mustard seed because Mm. elsewhere we talk about, you know, faith the size of a mustard seed. Right. And so it's not saying the kingdom of heaven is like this tiny little mustard seed. It's talking about the kingdom of heaven is like this tiny little mustard seed, which becomes something larger. And, um, you know, I guess since we're talking about this, what about the phrase, it's the smallest of all seeds, right? This, we, we might as well tackle that while yeah, we're yeah. in here. So, so I've heard so many people get hung up on the phrase of it's the smallest of all seeds. And I don't know if you've encountered this or not, but I've even had unbelievers tell me, well, see, here's proof that the Bible is inaccurate or that Jesus isn't all knowing. Why? Well, because the mustard seed is not the smallest of all seeds even if you were to say the smallest of all garden seeds they will say no that's not true well first of all i think that illustrates beautifully how jesus was using parables in the first place right jesus is making a comparison between um the small tiny beginnings of heaven on earth and how it's going to grow but the unbeliever gets lost in the details Jesus said, "Seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear." And so that's what they—they're—they're they're focusing on this tiny little detail, trying to disrupt the—the the whole point, and they're missing the point altogether. And you know what? Plenty of believers, and I'd say some in your audience too, are going to get hung up on this too. So it's worth exploring. And and I don't think it's punting to simply say it's a proverbial saying. You know, I—I've I, looked around, and it seems to be that. Well, on the one hand, the mustard seed is one of the smallest of the smallest seeds, um, but it's more in the fact of how large the plant is that comes from it. And not only that, though, but from what I've understood, even though I would say, you know, the world of botany certainly can conjure up many examples of tiny seeds. Um, in the average Jewish garden of the time, well, this mustard seed would have been one of the smallest. And frankly, sort of the third thing is that most scholars have written that the mustard seed representing something small ends up actually being a pretty common proverb among rabbis at the time. That's just something people would say. So for jesus to to find some unknown seed that's smaller than a mustard seed to make his point, would not have been very helpful. instead, he uses the common phrase, the common understanding of the people, so that the message can you know connect with them. So that's it's, after all the the you know the comparison Jesus is making, not on the size of the seed or even on the size of the bush, but just the juxtaposition between how that small seed then grows to be this great, great large bush
0: and there's definitely, It's a few things It's the first of all, is that how they're speaking is not meant to be exact, just how we speak. For example, we talk about the sun rising and the sun setting. Well, that isn't really what's happening, but that's what it looks like. So we say it. So someone a hundred years from now could say, see, they didn't understand science. They thought the sun rose and the sun set, you know, went down. Right. And like, well, okay. All right. So you have some of those sayings that are happening that we can get lost in the weeds as believers or unbelievers. But secondly, it's very helpful. The way you've been saying this is that this really kind of, it does separate the believers from the unbelievers because the believer is like, tell me more. And the unbelievers like, that doesn't make any sense. I'm done. Right. And, and that's something that we will, we see throughout scripture where it talks about how some people are going to hear it. Some people are going to deny it. There's not much you can do about it. It's just, you got to preach it. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing. Yeah. The. The mustard seed, and I really like how you're saying this because it's a very visual understanding of, see how small it is? It's so small that you would think it had no difference, but the kingdom of heaven will have a difference. But even, even when a quote is making a difference, um, it's it's not necessarily moving the earth. Because let's be honest, a mustard seed, a mustard plant, having birds sit on it, well, that's not really that exciting. <laughs> right.
1: It's pretty, yep. pretty boring, actually. Well, <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. But, I mean, you know. The image itself is is kind of strange. If Jesus were trying to talk about how big and miraculous and amazing the kingdom of God will be in the future, well, he probably would have used something else. As we'll learn later, he probably would have used something like a cedar, right? That would make the most sense if, if, you know, if, we, were, if we were writing this to make it make sense. But you see, the Jews at that time, the people he's talking to. The ones who are expecting the Kingdom of heaven, they would have taken it as granted that the kingdom is going to be vast and glorious. So that's not the point he's trying to make. He's not trying to say, "Hey, don't worry, the kingdom's going to be amazing." Well, they all believe that already. The point he's making is how that beginning seems so small, but it will indeed produce the results that God intends. It's just a it's a vivid image of what's going on on the ground in Christ's spreading kingdom. And of course it does. It does connect back to prophecy. You know, Ezekiel 17, in fact, describes how God sent the prophet to you know, talk to the people in a parable, no less. And toward the end of the chapter, Ezekiel gives them a revelation from God. And, and part of that revelation says on the mountain height of Israel, I will plant it that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar, and under it will dwell every kind of bird. In the shade of its branches, birds of every sort will nest. Now, is, is Jesus directly trying to make that connection to that? Well, I don't know. I don't think so because he probably would have used the word cedar. But what we do see is this image of a tree, and we see the image of the birds nesting under it, And it's used several times throughout the Old Testament to refer to great kingdoms. So Jesus is undoubtedly trying to point to how the kingdom of heaven will be great. But the main point of the parable isn't that. The main point of the parable, as you just said earlier, is that how can something so small turn into something so great? And I think that's what we see here. Um, That's what we see going on. So right now, I want to touch on that more before we get to the next parable, but now we
0: need to take our break. We are studying Matthew chapter 13 with Pastor Phil Boo, and we'll be right back. This is the voice of a mother in the faraway country of Georgia, reading to her six-month-old son about Jesus from a Bible storybook written in the Georgian language. The child's Bible was given to her by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, and the Holy Spirit is working powerfully through your support of LHF to make events like these happen every day. Help another family learn of the Savior. Learn how at lhfmissions.org. And welcome back. We are studying Matthew chapter 13, getting. Deep into the parables, when I, when the pandemic hit here, at, you know, in our country, in our world, really, in March of 2020, I think a month in, I started a, a, a study called "Pandemic Parables" on Friday, and so that that rings in my mind right now. And and looking at these parables, we we dug deep into them, but also it it, it was very eye opening because the deeper I got, the more the simplicity of the parables rung true. And I think that's what you're really hitting on here, Pastor Boo, is that that we might try to, ooh, you know, let's look at the small of the seed. Ooh, what kind of birds are are settling there? Ooh, look at look at Ezekiel and all of this and da 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 da. And it really comes down to the simplicity that the kingdom of God will grow from something so small that people don't notice it to something bigger that is noticeable, but yet, um, it, but then it's not even close to what it will be, which is the glorious kingdom. That is still yet to come um are we on
1: the are we on the right line as we look at this parable yeah i think so i mean jesus has plenty of teachings about uh you know the the end of time the the incoming of the kingdom what's going on here is that jesus has been teaching people for quite some time now and people are starting to divide themselves as i said earlier well for those who are within the church a parable like this teaches them encourages them might even be the better word that yes, what's going on now seems small. And yes, you look, you look across these crowds and you see some of these folks, and some of them are just making fun of us, and some of them are plotting against us, and some of them, you know, will probably never believe, and some of them will go on and and teach directly against us. But you know what? God's purpose will be fulfilled in the same way that when you plant this mustard seed and you have no control over it, and yet it grows into this large this magnificent 10, 12-foot bush. Just know that this is happening even behind the scenes with what God's doing with his kingdom of heaven. It's growing. It's going to have an impact, even though right now, disciples, it doesn't look like it. And then on the other hand, when he's talking to the people who are going to reject him, they look and they see, well, here's this guy talking about garden bushes. What, what's that about? And what that's about is it's fulfilling Isaiah, which tells us that they'll have ears but not be able to hear.
0: Now, Pastor, this is important for us today because each week we are proclaiming the active and and living and active word of God, you know, cutting to the heart. And Isaiah fifty five just talks about God's gonna he's gonna he's gonna bear fruit through this. We've seen this continually throughout Matthew, the bear fruit with faith. Um, and, and so you're, you're hearing all these things and you're like, yeah, okay. Um, God is, God is at work. Why is this parable important for us today when maybe we don't see the fruit that we hope to see on this side of eternity?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think this is something that a lot of people are frustrated with out there. You know, we have folks who have been in the church their whole lives. Uh, Maybe they're grandparents now, and maybe they have adult children and their adult children are not in the church, and their grandkids are not being raised in the church. And I've talked with these folks, I've held these folks' hands, and I can tell you that they're devastated. They're devastated. And a parable like this just reminds us that God's word is powerful. Jesus is talking about, you know, he's connecting us to this this reality that we can't force a plant to grow in our garden, and yet it does if you connect that, if you have the eyes to see and the ears to hear and you know that, yes, he's actually talking about the kingdom of heaven, then you say, wow, I guess God really is in control. It doesn't mean you just sit back and do nothing. Of course, he's given us a commission. He's given us the tools to go out and proclaim the truth to folks. But also he assures us that that he is in control and that uh, we can trust and rely on him too. And I think that it, maybe it brings not as much comfort as you, it would be if your if your kids and grandkids were regularly in church, but it also gives you the person who you can put your faith, hope, and trust in as you pray for them, as you continue to seek that that um, ability to talk with them in ways that may lead them back.
0: and that's a great a great way to like how you said that because it takes the um, authority, the uh, uh, ability out of our hands and puts him back who we know is authority, which is God. He has the ability, he has the strength, he has ability, it's all in his hands. And so we take it away from ourselves and asking, what can I do? And saying, Lord, um, do it, um, first of all, and then Lord, help me to be your witness and i lay it at your feet because it's a lot better than my feet. Mm-hmm. That's become very clear. Pastor, let's continue on verse 33. I'm, I'm excited about this one because, well, I don't know if I've ever studied this one before. So verse 33. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour. till it was all leavened. Simple, yeah. very short. Um, you know, I like leaven. I like bread. This is good. And so he, what is what is
1: Jesus telling us? here? It's easy to miss, too, right? I mean, he says it so uh-huh. fast. I, I have to admit that when I was counting how many parables were in this chapter, the first few times around, I only counted seven. And I'm like, I'm like, I know there's eight. Where's the eighth one? And it was this one, the one I was supposed to be covering. Yeah, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leaven. This this is extremely brief. It's just basically a statement. He just throws it out there, and you chew on it. But it builds on the mustard seed message because we see this tiny mustard seed producing this great growth. It's the growth itself that is in focus just like we see the small beginnings of God's kingdom, those little band of disciples are going to produce great growth. But leaven too, it's just, a, it's just a tiny contribution to flour, and yet it causes it to rise and double in size several times, and we make this amazing bread out of it. So the focus here is also, in one way, there's a couple different, you know, Areas that it's, it's teaching us, but its focus on, in one way is on that unimpressive beginnings. The same thing as the mustard seed, the unimpressive beginnings that result in tremendous growth. We see uh, this tiny little bit of of leaven, and it leavens the whole dough, and it's this tiny bit that then produces these great results. Um, there's also an uh, an an F, um, There's also a sense of hiddenness going on. Right, We don't see that yeast working, and yet it does. Just like we don't see the seed sprouting and growing underneath the ground until it breaks the ground, there's a hiddenness there too. And even though we do see, say, a plant grow, I don't think any of us have had the patience to sit there and actually watch it grow. We just every day see it grow a little larger. So there's still a hiddenness to it. But I do want to take a second to talk about the amounts. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in 3 measures of flour. So I looked it up. What is a measure? And people, commentators, scholars, people more more educated and researched than I am have many explanations all over the place. You know, they're comparing them to the Roman measure and other things. So I just I just took a nice gander at what people were saying and some of the most conservative estimates say that it's 84 cups of flour oh, wow. so i googled it and that's about four and a half ounces a cup it's like 130 grams a cup and then it ends up being nearly 25 pounds of flour and then i picked up another commentator and i said well what are other people saying? And this person said 50 and then another one said 60. And so I quit reading before it got ridiculous. (laughs) The the point is even taking the most conservative effort, 25 pounds of flour, that is a huge amount of bread. This bread is feeding a hundred people. It's a ton of flour, figuratively speaking. So, so we see here that this isn't just Oh wow! You know, I want you to consider how a woman takes a little bit of, of of leaven and makes this great bread. No, if if he threw off the people with the mustard seed, he's really throwing people off with this three measures of flour. You know, the people who have ears but cannot hear are now you know debating on how reasonable it is for a woman to make a twenty-five pound bread loaf. But of course, those who have ears to hear are listening for what Jesus has to teach. So regardless of the exact amount, we see that comparison going on. Something small is producing a tremendous effect into something large, very large. And not only that, it's happening in ways that we cannot detect or discern, not casually. Um, I think there's one other thing too, though, and that is, <laughs> doesn't leaven represent sin so jesus is saying that the kingdom of heaven is like leaven of course he's not saying that he's saying the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour but yeah i mean that leaven that in the old testament um and elsewhere in scripture we see that leaven represents sin and a lot of the times it does i mean not always there are some examples where it doesn't but but the real question is, why would Jesus use leaven in this parable? And I think part of the reason is, again, back to what we began with. Parables are used to provoke this out of the box thinking. These people would have had just knee jerk reaction connected uh, sin and leaven. And yet here he is talking about leaven to describe the kingdom of God, you know, shaking up people's expectations. And And that's that's what he's doing here because he he does it all the time, as we look at
0: as we before we move on, anything else, because this is kind of lumped together thirty one to thirty three. And it I mean, it <laughs> this I mean, the 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 11 one, still I'm kind of left with this like, wow, that's a that's a lot of bread. And so it's hard not to like try to compare too much to Jesus feeding the five thousand with bread. Um, not trying to go too far with it because I feel like we can make up a lot of stuff with this. So we just simply don't know. But we do know the basic tenets of what you're saying. So anything else you want to highlight? In
1: well, this, uh, I mean, just to reiterate, right, we have the 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 movement from small to large in both parables. We have the aspect of the hiddenness in both parables, right? We don't necessarily see the plant grow, although it just gets bigger every day. And the yeast itself is within the dough. Um, I think it's just worth pointing out, and you mentioned this earlier, but the kingdom of heaven isn't always some amazing, visible force at work in the world, some you know, miraculous sign or miracle that people look for. I mean, hey, sometimes it is, but it's often not. It's God behind the scenes accomplishing his purpose, and that's what's going on in our world today you know our world is really no different than it was 2000 years ago people who won't believe unless they see signs and miracles and jesus is using these parables to talk about the kingdom of heaven not in this amazing sky bursting you know infiltration into our history but rather tiny little seeds and you know microscopic little um yeast organisms uh, growing and doing their work ways that are often imperceptible and this brings me to
0: mark chapter 4 when it talks about you know the parable of the the growing seed where basically says you know the farmer put in the seed and kind of went to bed and it grew he knew not how was the language that's used in mark chapter 4 so i couldn't help but think about that that we are called to be faithful with proclaiming the word of god which we would put into this understanding of growth and, and we leave it in God's hands yep. and, and to see how it grows. And sometimes, boy, it just feels like you have done it great. And there's times you're like, nothing is working. And then there's times where it happens and you really can't figure out how it worked, which is frustrating. And we see this throughout the parables, but yet all of it good and bad or whatever we see or don't see thanks be to God work in our world.
1: And you know what? I suppose you, I'll just one more but... thing real quick before we go on. I and I was thinking about, you know, you're talking about feeding the five thousand, and I don't want to push it too far either. But I see also within these things a now but not yet aspect. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm just thinking sort of off the cuff out loud here, but you see in the the mustard plant, um it is a mustard plant, but its usefulness it, it doesn't become evident until later when all these birds of the air can come and nest in it. And the yeast in the dough, typically dough's not very edible, <laughs> at least not preferably, until it's all risen and baked. But still, the kingdom of God is there. And so, even in our lives today, we often, you know, we're waiting for the inbreaking of the kingdom. And both these parables, in their own ways, tell us that the kingdom of God's there. It's working, it's growing. And um, it's a now but not yet.
0: Let's keep moving forward. Verse 34 is kind of a, um, he kind of he lets our brain stop for a moment. You know, Matthew kind of lets us stop and think. And once again, puts in for the for these Jewish believers, the affirmation that this is a fulfillment, like all of Matthew points us as fulfillment of Christ from the Old Testament, assuring them and us that God is at work through his word. Verses 34 through 35. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. So he he quotes there um, in verse 35, Psalm 78, verse 2. And, and, And I found it interesting when he said he spoke but nothing but parables. So you do wonder sometimes and the disciples are like, you know what, Jesus, can we just have a normal conversation for a little bit? Okay, I mean, my right. my brain is hurting here, buddy. I mean, what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I mean, here we are halfway through his eight parables, and he's reinforcing what he what he talked about earlier. Earlier, he's fulfilling that prophecy of Isaiah, just like he told them. And now here, Matthew tells us that he's fulfilling the words of the prophet from Psalm 78. Um, BSV renders that same passage: I will open my mouth in a parable. And I will utter dark sayings from of old, so it's a it's a loose translation on behalf of Jesus, or uh, maybe uh, in, with deference to our Creator and Lord. Maybe uh, when the psalmist wrote it down, it was a loose translation of what Jesus told him. But <laughs> regardless, you know, it's not exact, but we get that same that same you know emphasis, and that is that Jesus is fulfilling. What the uh, what the Old Testament is pointing forward to. In fact, Psalm seventy-eight is about the revelation of knowledge, and here's Jesus revealing that knowledge to those who have been prepared to hear it. And he's also, you know, he's demonstrating that what he's doing is not new, but this is in accordance with God's plan from of old. After all, it's referenced in the prophets and the writings. And but I do think it's interesting that Matthew refers to this psalm. As the words of a prophet, and, and I'm not—I'm not 100% sure why. I did some research, and it looks like other people aren't sure why either. I mean, it could be that Asaph, who's mentioned um, as the as either the writer or this is one of his prophets, uh, one of his psalms. He's there's a guy named es- Asaph mentioned as a, a prophet or a seer in Second Chronicles. I mean, it could be that. Um, it could be that Jesus was just speaking it as from a prophet, so Matthew describes it as from a prophet. Or maybe Matthew just sees all of Scripture as having prophetic value. I, I do think that's an interesting question that you know, I don't know that I really have a, a bead on. But regardless, what we see is that Jesus is fulfilling these testimonies from old, and he's doing these things for a didactic purpose.
0: And it really is, I mean, each one of the parables, um, especially the ones that we're going through now in chapter 13, brings you great comfort. That's, you know, as we look at it, when you really read them, it brings great comfort for those who believe, especially to see how God's kingdom. And this is a theme throughout that, um, Christ Christ kingdom, uh, has come. Christ kingdom is here and Christ kingdom is coming. And we see his kingdom working differently than any other kingdom in the world. And like we said in Epiphany, that we have a message that's been revealed to us in Scripture that is different than anything else. And it's a wonderful, wonderful reality. And as he spoke here, that it's not like all these things were completely hidden, but he's slowly revealing from the foundation of the world this gospel so that it's more plain for us to be able to see, which is why you have a cross period, so that we can see it and we can, um, with the sacraments, touch them and 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 in some ways smell them and taste them and mm-hmm. and understand that it's right here. So he's just slowly getting to this to that point as we look at this and what comfort there is. So, Pastor, uh, let me um let me say this: we have about seven minutes left. I I do want to get to parable of the weeds, but to be honest, um, when we went through the parable of the weeds before, we did touch on it before our program today. So I just right. wanted to make sure the part that we are not going to touch on in other programs from these first number of verses. Is there
1: anything else you want to highlight? No, I think we, I think we got it. We should uh, cover the rest of the part, but yeah, lightly, because I know that you guys have already covered it. Yep. So parable of the weeds explained,
0: verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace, and that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, looking at this, and this goes back to verses 24 to 30 of the parable of the weeds. It's relatively, of of parables, this is relatively self explanatory. It's covered, you know, it's covered, covered the bases pretty well, and there's nothing really that terribly hidden, but it's good to know that often we're on the right track. So how would you talk about the parable of the weeds, especially for our listeners who maybe haven't listened to our prior program for whatever reason are not able to?
1: What, how would you unpack? Sure. Well, so first of all, I think it's important to note of this pivoting of Jesus. You know, he's gone back into the house. He's away from the crowds and he's now just with his disciples. And they've taken this opportunity to ask him to explain this parable. And because of the, you know, esoteric nature of parables, boy, I Sometimes I kind of wish that Jesus would have explained all of them, you know, like on one, on one, one page, Matthew writes, you know, what it, what the parable was. And then the very next paragraph, Jesus explains it. But for whatever reason, Jesus didn't do that, or at least Matthew didn't record it. So this one of uh, several times, he also explains the parable of the sower earlier, but this example gives us a hermeneutic, a, a way to interpret the others. And I think that this particular one is familiar to us because, well, Jesus has explained it. We have that in our heritage. But the basic parable itself is is a story of a man who he sows good wheat seed into his garden, and then under the cover of darkness, an enemy comes in and sows weeds. And then when the plants grew, there were weeds among the wheat. And the servants of the man, they wanted to try to tear out the weeds, but then the, the man who planted the good seed stops them, and he says, no, listen, if you do that, you're going to end up pulling up wheat too. Instead, wait until the harvest when the wheat will be separated from the weeds, and then we'll burn the weeds in the fire. And so it seems like a pretty self-explanatory, fairly common occurrence of having wheat and weeds and having to decipher between the two. So Jesus begins, though, in this explanation of it by defining each element of the parable, which kind of tells us that Wow, okay, when we read other parables, we should be defining each element according to you know, other ways that God has revealed that to us in scriptures. And in this case, it's pretty straightforward, right? The sower is the son of man. Jesus begins with the reality that the one sowing the good seed is himself, a messianic term, the son of man. He describes himself as the son of man in Matthew 8. And with the field being the world and the good seeds are believers and the weeds are the unbelievers, we get this image of us having to coexist out in the world together. And there's a similarity between the wheat and the weeds. And so oftentimes it's hard to tell those who are believers from those who aren't. We can't read the hearts of others, and so you know it's impossible for us to somehow go off and round up all the unbelievers in the world and then of course there's that issue of repentance to harvest the weeds early would cut off the opportunity for repentance so what this parable is telling us is that again we should have patience you know there's the reality that there are saved and unsaved good and wicked who are living out together in this world and we must not take god's vengeance or or judgments into our own hands but be patient because the day is coming and it also gives us assurance that the day is coming that God's justice will one day come and there will be a day of reckoning. So this is overall what the what the message is telling us. And then at the very end, Jesus leaves us with, frankly, a, a beautiful image of the righteous. You know, there's a lot of reaping and judgment going on and burning of tares or wheat or weeds. But the final condition of believers is reassuring he says then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father he who has ears let him hear he, he he connects even this with all this inbreaking of god's kingdom and the future of god's people and there is um there is
0: he who has ears let him hear that that language that we hear throughout matthew is he's like behold you know, the wise men show up in Jerusalem. Behold, you know, John the Baptist shows up. And here, that's kind of like a behold statement. Look, he who has ears, let him hear that that this righteousness is yours in me. You know, this righteousness has been revealed. My kingdom is yours. And so, you know, repent, believe, you know, um, mm-hmm. turn, contrition, faith. I mean, go down the whole list of of what he's offering to them. And it really comes down to, this is, this is the good stuff. So come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Pastor, we have about a minute left in our time. What well. would you encourage and, and summarize uh, the, the passages that we've gone through today?
1: Well, he who has ears, let him hear. And we know that faith comes from hearing and hearing, of course, the gospel of Christ. And so when Jesus is teaching these things, when he's revealing to us, These secrets, these mysteries hidden before the foundation of the world, they all find their fulfillment and culmination in that gospel message. That Jesus has come, that Jesus has revealed himself to be God, that Jesus has revealed the kingdom of God and ushered it in on earth, and that we're a part of that. He's brought us into it through the through the waters of holy baptism. He he feeds and strengthens us in that kingdom when we partake of the feast. Of the his true body and blood when we hear the scriptures as it's proclaimed and as we read it on our own. And so we can have that assurance that God loves us, that the kingdom of God is working according to God's plan, and that we can also be patient as as all these things that happen behind the scenes will find their fulfillment just as God has designed them. And I think that's the message today. We just keep focusing on Jesus and uh we keep doing as we should be doing repenting when we don't and let the holy spirit do the rest the reverend dr phil
0: boo from st john lutheran church in laverne minnesota bringing us god's strong word from matthew chapter 13. pastor boo thank you again for bringing us his gifts thank you i'm your host brady finner pastor of messiah lutheran church in sartell minnesota thank you for joining us and the lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand